0: welcome to episode 219 of two legs we are mainly a paul mccartney podcast centering on the solo career of the one and only paul mccartney and i am one of your two co-hosts andy nichols and joining me today as always the reason that i'm here is mr tom hanyadi hello tom
1: andy good to see you my friend it's this is going to be another fascinating show and i cannot wait to to talk to our special guest here who um you know this special yeah. book right here um big one we're gonna talk yes, yeah yeah we're, we're gonna talk about this book yeah there you go he's got another copy right there we're gonna talk about this we're gonna talk about some 80s paul mm-hmm. and uh this is gonna be a fun episode
0: yeah so as you can see below joining us today is uh, the legendary and iconic journalist mr peter doggett <laughs> who is I've, it's the first time
2: i've been called iconic since lunchtime honestly <laughs>
0: Well, sir, I mean, Peter is, uh, you know, if, if no stranger in, in the world of uh, Beatles literature. He has written a hundred, you know, so many articles and has tons of books. Not just on the Beatles, he's written a ton of stuff out there. I believe he did a book on, um,
2: was it Prince too? Or not. Uh, um, not Prince. No, David Bowie. David Bowie was a recent Bowie, book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Crosby, Stores, Nash and Young.
0: That's right. And a book, and, I believe, um, on sex in the 60s,
2: too. Yeah, look at this. I'm fully prepared. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately, this is only available in uh, Britain and in Australia. For some reason, okay. that's just but it has got some Beatles things in there. So obviously, but, yeah, but
0: uh, we, we are honored to have you on here. And thanks for coming on. Yes, to thank a, you. Have a chat with us today about a book that really raised the bar in terms of um, information and readability, really, uh, on a topic that um, was not easily, you know, to read about. You hear about all these different lawsuits over the years revolving the post-breakup years, but in this volume, Peter has summed up all the activity that happened for all four solo Beatles um, as, you know, as artists with their career, but then also all the litigation that went on during that period as well. Uh, But before we get into the book proper... Peter, tell us about your background um, as, as a journalist and an author, and how did you get your start?
2: Um, well, before I was a journalist and an author, I was a music fan, and I was mm-hmm. very specifically a Beatles fan. Um, I'm old enough to remember the Beatles first time round, but uh, mm. 63, 64, like every other kid in England. I was, I was doing the twists you know, at school parties <laughs> when I was age six or whatever. Um, And then I got interested in sport instead. And so after 64, I basically, I just left music. I wasn't interested. Um, As kids are, you know, prone to do, just follow a new obsession. And then 1970, almost by chance, I got back into music. My older cousin took me to see a double bill of the movie's Yellow Submarine and Let It Be. Um, And I said, well, this is great, you know. And then I discovered to my horror, they'd broken up um, about two months beforehand. Um, and it's amazing in retrospect to think that, I mean, when I broke up, sorry, when they broke up, I was 12, I guess. And my parents were buying a newspaper every day and I read it. And I don't remember the Beatles breaking up at all. It wasn't that big a story. So mm. there wow. you go. Whereas these days it would be front cover for months to come. Um, and I, <laughs> what really changed my life was seeing A Hard Day's Night. Um, mm-hmm. On the BBC, um, I can remember everything about it. Four o'clock in the afternoon. It was the 20th, so sad I remember this, 28th of December, 1970. <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not the only person who watched it because John Lennon, John also, Lennon also, watched, also watched it. Too, yeah, exactly. It <laughs> yeah, um, and I probably enjoyed it more than he did, I should think. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I madly fell in love with the Beatles and I got Beatlemania six years too Mm. late and it was a time as we all know when all four beatles were beginning their solo careers and so there was lots of stuff happening they were in the english music papers every week rumors about getting back together or suing each other or whatever but at the same time i had the whole mystery of um uncovering the past of the beatles and unlike these days when you can go online and discover everything you need to know right back in 1970 you know i used to wander into my local record shop and there would be these sealed albums i was particularly intrigued by the white covered one because it was sealed and you had no idea what was on it and so you could just imagine um well, there's a title um imagine what was <laughs> what was going to be on it and it was you know, two or three years before I actually got to hear that and Sergeant Pepper. You relied on mm-hmm. friends at school who had older brothers right. who were prepared right. to lend you the record. You know, innocent times. But um, so from that point, I, I was a Beatles maniac. I, I was shattered in 1980 when John died, and just mm-hmm. before John died, I was extraordinarily lucky. I, I um, talked my way into a job at the magazine Record Collector which had only just started in England. I think I was probably the only person who applied for the job who actually knew what the magazine was. Mm. And it was, if you remember the old Beatles monthlies, Mm. when I joined, Record Collector was the same size. It was a small little thing. Um, And so, for my sins, I not only got to work on Record Collector, a lot of which was about The Beatles, but we, but um, Sean O'Mione, who was the publisher, was also republishing The Beatles monthly, every month. And we had to write eight pages, or it became 16, I think, of new stuff to go around the outside of the reprints. And so, as, a, as the resident Beatles fan, I ended up doing a lot of that. Um, so yeah so it was pretty obvious then for me to I mean I had to keep up with what the Beatles were doing all Right. Um, well you came into
0: the the universe of the Beatles at a really weird time because they were breaking up and the solo career started yeah. so you had to kind of dive into the six years past to get and then kind of stay hip with what was coming out at the time so you're buying you were buying all these records in real time in the early 70s as they were solo sure, artists correct yeah.
2: and, and also you had to pick had to pick sides you it was really <laughs> difficult as a 13 14 year old in seventy 71, you're mm-hmm. finding your way immediately into a battle mm. um uh, which actually right. is a word. it's a word we'll come back to a bit later on in this interview i think mm-hmm. but you either had to pick hip john yoko george side or you had to put uh, pick square old boring Sourpuss, Paul McCartney side, because that's how it was presented in the enemy right. melody maker at the time. Yes, it was. And there's a, it's a, a shame too. Oh, it's it's ridiculous in retrospect. Yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. But there was no doubt which side I was on in 1970, 71. I was on the cool, hip, rebellious, power to the people side. Yeah, yeah that didn't st- that didn't stop me buying another day or Ram because okay. we well, was still still a Beatle, but um. It took me several years to be sort of – to be able to stand back enough and say, okay, maybe all the sort of propaganda we've been getting from from John particularly and from Alan mm-hmm. Klein, maybe there was another side to it. And, um, and you
1: got to – and you got to see, like, the war of words there too in, in real time as well. You got to see, you know, John yeah, making yeah. his smart-ass comments about Paul <laughs> and then Paul responding, you know, so. Yeah, and so that uh, must as have
2: a – it it was was fantastic and as a teenage smart ass myself obviously i was (laughs) i was impressed by by john because he was like he was in a hard day's night he was quick witted and quick And yeah exactly now paul can be but he tends to be much drier and sometimes he takes the high
1: road as well yeah Yeah. oh yeah
2: absolutely Yeah. yeah
0: so so you you joined um record collector in 1980 and and how long did you stay there Four.
2: about 300 years I think it was it certainly <laughs> felt like it look my hair fell out um <laughs> it was 19 years and then a couple of years sort of wow. hanging about uh, the office sort of going because I lived just down the road anyway so I would sort of mm. pop in and do things um yeah 19 years yeah seems longer but uh, yeah
0: mm. and, and uh, you know your body of work is just you know exquisite but I mean let's get into the topic of the book and if you don't know the title of the book the name of the book is you never give me your money. And this is the US edition. Peter's got the I'm, UK edition there.
2: No, this is the US paperback. I'm, I'm, oh, starting, to feel, paperback. Oh. I'm starting to feel like Ringo, and I just asked me about yeah. the new album. <laughs> Peace mm. and love. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> no autographs. No autographs.
2: Yeah. Um, okay. Let me tell you about this book. I mean, I had an idea. Yeah. yeah please. Um, probably way back when I was still at Record Collector. So we're in the 90s. I was aware there was not a good book about. the the story of the breakup and what happened afterwards. And specifically, what happened, the relationship between the four of them. Um, The fighting, the rapprochement, the court cases, the collaborations, the rumors, all this sort of stuff. And I did not want to write that book. For years Mm. after, um, I was so beetled out after writing about them sort of almost every day it seemed like for 20 years it was like no that's the last thing I want to do um and it I had, was having a conversation with my book agent in I don't know 2006 or something and I raised it as an idea and he said oh no that sounds a terrible idea so I thought well f you in that case I'm gonna <laughs> do it <laughs> sorry Rupert he died last year mm-hmm. I'm really sorry um, right um, or this year um so i decided to do it and the work I, I always knew the book had to be called would you never give me your money right perfect um, title and the subtitle this is the where the battle comes back the subtitle of the book in england the original edition is the battle for the soul of the beatles right mm. right now mm. when it came out in america um, i'm not going to mention any names but <laughs> for a start they wanted to chop book in half almost in half because they said it was too long so i had to (laughs) fight fight that battle then they wanted to retitle it it's just american publishers they don't like to do what i'm blowing my whole career here but it's true if there's a if there's a british author they like to change you know put as much of their own input in as possible Mm. um and they wanted to change the title from you never give me your money to and in the end Mm. and i said well have you read the book because The whole point is it wasn't the end, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. they carried on. There was the relationship going on to this day. And then the third fight, which I lost, was we want to call it the Beatles after the breakup. And I said, well, it's not because it's um, it's it's very specifically a book about the relationship between the four of them and also the entity that was the Beatles. Mm -hmm. It's not about their solo careers. But because of this title on the American edition, um, I mean, I, I I never Google myself. I don't read anything that anybody says online, but a number of times I've come across by accident, um, American readers saying, oh, what a sellout. He doesn't even mention, you know, Pipes of Peace or I don't know, Ringo's Writer Review or whatever. How can it be the Beatles after the breakup? But that's not what the book was supposed to be about. Right. It was Supposed to be about. Right. It, it was about the myth and the reality yeah. of being in the Beatles, right. breaking up, and then trying to cope with that reality afterwards.
0: Yeah, you weren't writing a sessionography about the individual no. solo albums. You, uh, you right. touch upon them as no. they as they are as they are merited, but it, it, this is about the, the relationships of the four of them. Yeah, and, and, and right.
2: if, in fact, I only mention them when they're relevant. To the story to the of the story. relationships, yeah. correct. So, yes. so obviously, yeah. I'm going to mention Imagine because it's got mm-hmm. "How do you sleep on it?" and I'm going to mention right. Wildlife because it's got "Dear Friends. Yeah. Dear friend, uh, right? Yeah, and you know, obviously, so,
0: <clears throat> the solo albums up until '74 five when Apple's dissolved is inter- is very integral to the story because yeah. the money was all pooled still together then. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I could see up to that point having to discuss all those solo albums up until that point being very part of the story, but after that, there's you know, there's somewhere in England, okay, all those years ago, fine. You're not gonna really we don't need a chapter on old wave in this book,
1: you know.
2: (laughs) Sorry, Ringo. Sorry.
1: Yeah. But the 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 idea of of the lawsuit in now As you following the the story in 1970, you were getting a sense, you were, you were, you were learning about all of these lawsuits as they, as they came. So, so starting the research for the book, was that a difficult uh, process or were you able to jump right in or talk about the procedure? Yeah, the research. I mean, mean, obviously
2: it took a while, but it didn't take as long as it would have done if I hadn't been a fan. I mean, that helped. Um, And. As a sort of anally retentive fan, as a 13-year-old, any any um, article from the English Music Press or the National Press I came across about the Beatles, I faithfully cut out, didn't put them in a scrapbook, but they just were in a pile in my bedroom and somehow they didn't get thrown away. And so when I came to write the book, I had two boxes of these thing, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And also through being a record collector, I just accumulated stuff. People would say oh, I came across this, would you like a copy of it? Sure, okay. Um, And often, in fact, when I came to write the book, I found I had things that I didn't know how I'd got them. Um, And I couldn't remember, I mean, just because I was, you know, I was really busy. It was a full-time job running record collector, and stuff just came at you non-stop, you know. Um, So there was no time to stop and take anything in. It was just like, oh, put that aside, come back to it. And, um, so I was very, very lucky uh, with the amount of stuff I kept. Obviously, as a fan, I knew an awful lot. Um, mm. And then when I was doing the research for the book, things um, just sort of tumbled into my lap, and I often can't explain where they came from. But I happened <laughs> to be in the right place at the right time on many occasions to see things that I, I know I shouldn't have seen. mm yeah. Uh, and maybe, what is it? Ellen LeBron says all the way through. Help! I can say no more. I can say, no say no more. more. Yeah, yeah, say no more. Right. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So I I saw stuff that um, I shouldn't I shouldn't have seen, and obviously that that sort of coloured uh, the book. Right. Gave me right. a lot of extra background information, uh, which I don't the, think anybody.
1: The level has, of right. Has, uh, the level of else detail. The level of Sorry. detail that you also put into the book—I apologize for interrupting—is um, is phenomenal. I mean, it really raised the bar for for I think beetle books. I mean, a lot of times you just get you know you just you know scrape over things or whatever, but you really put the the attention, the detail in the book. The research is 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 obvious um, for that. I mean, did you set a expectation for yourself for this book? I mean, it's just like I have to have this part in it. I have to understand why. This happened, you know, as you're going, as you're writing, you know, all these pieces are coming together. I mean, talk about, you know, your, or were you finding yourself excited for what you were learning or were you like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened? Or, you know, just, uh, just talk about or, what, you, yeah. you know, the experience while you were writing it.
2: All of the above and more. Yeah. In fact, one of my strongest feelings writing it, particularly around the time of the breakup, writing about Paul reacting to things Mm. Um, I was it around then yes it was it was around the same time I was training as a as a as a counselor humanistic counselor and so that was actually really useful when it came to write this book because I was studying sort of family relations and the way people interact and the way um, in a particular relationship one person will be the parent and the other person will be the child even if they're just friends or if they're married to each other. So there were so many times when I was writing the book when I wanted to grab all of the Beatles, but usually Paul, because he's the one I felt most sorry for, um, and say, no, don't. I know they're really pissing you off. You know, they're saying these awful things. They're acting like assholes, as you would say in America. But don't don't react. Step, Step away. Don't say anything. And I guess the prime instance of that is, and I mentioned this in the book, if Paul hadn't done the, um, the sort of fake interview with the McCartney album, mm. and that hadn't been publicized, would the Beatles have broken up? And I sort of speculate that, particularly given how mercurial uh, John was, I think George and Ringo would have gone for it. It was, It is quite possible It's quite possible John would still not have wanted to do anything, but if Paul hadn't come out and said, I broke up the Beatles effectively um, and it hadn't been interpreted that way then, you know, it's possible John might have phoned them up and said, okay, I've got these songs they're called God, Working Class Hero, Mother, they're on our next album, and the rest of them would have gone, oh, okay. Mm. Um, You know, it's weird to sort of imagine a Beatles album that might have had (sighs) goodness knows backseat of my car and also work, working class hero but it would have been a wonderful record mother right.
1: so yeah. you 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 yeah. think by by paul doing that 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 mock interview led to you know some maybe some bitterness with the other three not wanting to because we all know the stories of paul too being hard to work with you know especially during the second half of of the beatles you know george i mean especially you I mean you can see you see that in the uh when the the three of them give their comments uh, to the judge for when Paul sues the other three, yeah. you know George's comments. Well, you know I you know I had to work on thirty of his songs before he would work on one of mine. But he would lovingly <laughs> yeah. do it. But I yeah. still had to work on thirty of his yeah. before he would even you know work on mine. So we knew that already about Paul. But you, you seem to think that because of this 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 uh, interview this this fake interview that he does for McCartney is what kind of like you know, sets the scene for them not working together again.
2: Yeah, because it and it, it, it doesn't just affect the relationship between the four of them, it affects how they're seen in the world, because it's interpreted in a certain way. Uh, Paul, okay. you know, um, I forget what the newspaper, pla- the, you know, the hoarding, the placard was in this country, but it was something like Paul, the Beatles are over. Well, melody and maker? Once the, uh, yeah, and, and the um, one of the, day, the newspapers, Daily Mirror, maybe one oh, of them Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and once that story's out there, it's very hard to row back and say, "Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. mean that. Actually, I was just right. promoting my album, and I was in a bad mood right. that day."
1: And, and, um, and that's what he thought he was doing. He was he thought yeah. he was promoting it, I, I, but wrongly. I mean, I don't think that was the way to do it. Myself, yeah. you know, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, 20 he probably realized now. I mean. That he probably shouldn't have gone that in that direction.
2: I yeah, but it's it, it's understandable, and also in Paul Paul's defense again, what you were just saying about George and so, which I'm sure is true about the, that oh, Paul's got another twelve songs he's written this morning. Well, no, we have to do <laughs> them. Oh dear, one of them is Maxwell's Silver Hammer Part Silver Two. Hammer. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, <laughs> But if Paul hadn't been like that, there would have been no Beatles after six, After Brian Epstein died. No, there would, would not and have. Possibly been. not even before right. that. Possibly after they gave up touring, there would have been no Beatles. Because the rest of them couldn't have been bothered to get off their asses and no. do anything. So.
0: And, and that's why if you look at the career of the Beatles, you can see that in the first half. John Lennon is clearly the driving force and uh, from revolver onwards, it's McCartney. That's, that's I don't know if you agree with that, but it's yeah. A, oh, it,
2: absolutely. Yeah, it's
0: a, it's a clear dividing line to see that he carried them through the end from 66 to the end to keep yeah. them going because they were just John and George were just did not care anymore. And he was yeah. the only one keeping them going, 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 going. So,
2: but the aftermath of that or the effect of you know the reverberations of Paul being in charge, being the boss. I mean, you can see it if you look at the film mm-hmm. from ninety-four, whenever it is, of the, the three Beatles playing yeah. Bloomer, Kentucky yeah. and thinking of Linky. Yeah. Just look at George's face. <laughs> Particularly when Paul he oversings every line and goes, woo, woo woo at the end of every line. Because he's nervous. That's his way of dealing with it. I think. It, it, yeah. Right. And George, you can just see George going what the hell am I doing here? Why am I well, doing this? To well, that, you, he, you, he needed you have
1: it. To he he, he oh, needed yeah. it he needed handmade, to do it. That, yeah, you have to think that if, if handmade film, if he didn't have his that issue with his yeah. business partner with handmade films, would he even have done that? He wouldn't he have even
0: followed. done it. He needed the money.
1: Uh,
2: yeah. Um, which, yeah, go ahead. Which, which doesn't mean, and we're leaping way ahead. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah. that doesn't mean that Paul and George weren't close friends, because I'm sure they were. Right. But it's oh, just. Oh, they were. Yeah. It's just that George didn't want to work with Paul, no, right? No, and and yeah, to be fair a, to George, he did keep saying that yeah, <laughs> right. into, he did. interview after rather, interview. Be, yeah, how I'd right rather be in, are, in a band yeah. with
1: Willie Weeks than uh, than yeah, Paul McCartney. Yeah. 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 You know? So
0: one of the things that that is so enjoyable about the book, and I must have read it five, probably five or six times, is, is how quick, despite all this information and money and lawsuits, it, the book is such an easy read. And it is because you, you have track. the you have the you talk about the relationships and how each event then affects the other one intertwine. It, it, it how it, it's not know. just, you know, it, it, that's why it that's why it is such a, a, a quick and easy read, despite all this information in here about the money and the percentages. It reads so easily. And and that's why you, you, you it has a personal touch to it. And that's I think well, it's,
2: it's a credit to you. That's very kind thank you very much i appreciate that um it's got a personal touch because i cared yeah. um and yeah and i wanted to see them as people that was the other thing um it's about it's about them as a myth and it's about them as four people and struggling just to come to terms with what they've done and you know if you're the foremost famous people in the world and then you're not together how do you cope what do you do And that's what the mm. book is about
0: peter what decade um, was uh, giving some perspective on like, cause obviously the lawsuits, you've got a lot of Klein lawsuits there in, 72 mm-hmm. three, when John and George ordered that clandestine investigation of the affairs, obviously in the eighties, it spills into alignment. What decade was, um, had more teeth to it, uh, as, as you say, in terms of like the lawsuits and trying to get the best bits to present it in the book, the seventies or the eighties?
2: Um, I was going to say sixties <laughs> or sixties. <'60s>, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so there we are. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it get it got harder in the 80s um, because mm. there's less material leaking out there. there if there are lawsuits, they get settled privately. Mm. And so you don't get the thing. I mean, you can go to a National Archives in London right. and you can, um, if you if you ask nicely and you fill in the right forms, you can sit there surrounded by boxes of all the uh, affidavits and things from the original um uh, Uh, Court case, 1971, when Paul was breaking up the partnership. And again, ongoing litigation in the first half of the 70s between with Apple suing Abco and Abco Mm -hmm. suing Apple. And um, so, uh, no, there's so much information there to draw on. And then most of the stuff that I got access to that I shouldn't have done was also from that sort of 68 to 75 Mm -hmm. era. So after that, it's much more a case of, or almost tracking them through what they're saying in public. Because another thing I found was fascinating, um, I always think was a danger when people are writing a book about anybody, um, particularly people who have given lots of interviews, as the Four Beatles did, is to take one of those interviews and say, that's what they thought. Now, we know with John Lennon, um, he was on heroin or whatever he was on when he did the Rolling Stone interview in the 1970. And if he'd been on a different drug the next day, he would have given a different interview.
1: Different interview, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, So one of the things I really enjoyed doing was going, okay, here's a subject. What did Paul, because he tends to talk about these things more than the others, what did Paul think about the relationship with John? What did he think about the breakup? And it changes um, as he's going through from, yeah, every time he's asked, you get a slightly different perspective.
1: Mm.
2: It's like the thing about how close were you to John in the final years before John died? That's a story that keeps changing. It sort of mm. the goalposts, you know, well, mm-hmm. not that close to now. It's sort of, oh, we were fully best friends again. Right, And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle there.
1: Somewhere in between. Yeah.
0: It's funny, you've got that, uh, I don't know if it's in, in the book, but I know I know you do talk about it. Um, you've got those uh, famous photographs of Alan Klein with Yoko and exactly. John yeah. and Neil Aspinall, I want to say like January of 77, and that's when everything, I think, finally was done with Klein. Yeah. Is that is that accurate?
2: Uh, I can't remember the date. It's too many years ago since I wrote the book. But, yeah, that sounds right, 77, 78. Mm. And then there's the thing of Paul and Linda saying, oh brilliant Johnny Yoko solved this but they did it with yeah. five five million dollars of the <laughs> Beatles money a quarter of which had to be paid by Paul so oh, right. which we're gonna which, which we're which gonna brings talk us about, neatly well. on to, to, to
1: yes it does. Uh, 1978 to
2: 1970. the McCartney yeah <laughs>
0: the McCartney yeah. override and this right. I did not know about this till I read your book and I was like oh my god this is a big deal holy crap mm-hmm. um so when I think it was January 1st, 1979, is when Paul's deal with Columbia in the United States. Yeah. Um, only here he was still EMI for the rest of the world. Only, yep. and this was a clause designed to give Paul two and a half
2: percent extra. You could go ahead and explain it uh, to. Well, this. I think I think it was two percent extra, and uh, but that and, was for I
1: just, EMI though. Sorry, yeah. I didn't so mean to interrupt. this was EMI
2: though. Yeah, that's right. So it, as far as I know, it it never applied. To his America, to Beatles American record sales, right. it would be the rest of the world apart from okay. North America. Yeah. So, for those um, of you that yeah. don't know,
0: Paul was basically earning more than the other than John's estate, uh, George and Ringo at the time for Beatles yeah. Right. recordings. Yeah. And this was right. uh, this was kept very hush hush until a couple of years later. But we'll get to that. But continue, yeah. Peter.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, the question would be, how do I know about it? and this is a bizarre situation where somebody and i literally i mean i could you know if i if you put me on the rat the torture rack i couldn't tell you who it was it arrived right. anonymously in the post mm. addressed to me at record collector at some point in right. the i don't know it must have been before the george and george and ringo and yoko suing paul thing mm. came in the where are we 80 mid 80s 85 maybe um somebody sent me a huge amount of information about Beatles royalties, how they're broken up. Right. And it was just like this spreadsheet. You remember old computer spreadsheets yeah. that you sort of <laughs> unfold them. right? hundreds of pages of stuff that was really difficult to read. Right. And it it came with no note. It came with no other information. And I started to look through it going, You're telling me there are, you know, I I don't know, 13 songs on a hard day's night and they're written by Lennon and McCartney. I know that. And that's the royalty rate. Yeah. And I didn't then look at it properly uh, because it was just too much paper and I couldn't see why anybody had sent it to me. And it was only later that I realized after the lawsuit came out, in fact, when I was doing the research for the book, I dug this, I kept it, I dug this thing out and suddenly went, oh, there's the McCartney Override on right. page you know, 235. I'd never got that far when I looked at it originally. Yeah. And suddenly right. it's got, yeah, here are the... Um... So somebody had obviously right. sent it to me anonymously, thinking this is a man who understands, but I didn't, and will, mm-hmm. you, you know, sort of, as we say in England, blow the gaff. Um, right. expose so the story. You-
1: Right, so you got it very specific I and mean, very detailed. You you talk yeah. about how for the Please Please Me album they made five percent uh, with with heart with with the Beatles. Well, the it, went the Beatles, yeah, it went L, up. Like yeah, it were, went up. Like it started fifteen. Yeah. For, yeah, yeah. Right. No, I'm no, sorry, two percent. And then you get into really this real specifics is when it comes to the McCartney override. Then when you would say that what each would would get three point five. Uh, oh, sorry, three point five, three point four five pence. And then McCartney's jumped up to five uh, yeah. four or five pence and, and the, the one no, was, was and the one please. the big one was the please please me yeah. when um the other three would get 0. 0.56 pence but but um paul's take would then end up being 2.56 pence which is almost you say five times more yeah. than yeah. than that of the other three and now I mean, the other thing then too would be that, that this paul is negotiating his solo contract i think that's important for people to yeah. also understand this is for him negotiating. This is also for him being loyal to EMI. EMI, yes. Yeah. You know, this is him also maybe thinking, well, this is, you know, making up for me having to dish out my own money for Alan Klein that's, as well. That's really important. So, yeah. I mean, Right, right, exactly. So do you think Paul is right in these thinkings? Do you think it was right that it was a hush-hush? I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, on
2: this whole? The overall situation. Um, but, yeah, yeah, well, it, it, the other really important thing to say is Paul was not taking money from the other Beatles because right. the money, right. the money was coming out of the, the the share that EMI were going to pay. Um, so sorry, okay. sorry, out of their profit. Mm. Um, you know, they were doing very nicely, thank you very much. Anyway, so <laughs> they could they could afford it. You know, but right. um, so it wasn't a case of each of the Beatles getting less than they would have done. It's just they were getting less than Paul. Um, gotcha. Now, and I can fully understand why five, six year, years later, when perhaps the same long bit of paper reaches George or Yoko or Ringo, and they say, right. hang on a minute, what the hell's the McCartney override? Why? And and I can imagine anybody in that situation would feel betrayed because it is as if Paul has gone behind their back. Um, right. And he has, but he's not hurting them. He's... And, and and there is nothing, there would have been nothing to prevent George and, and John in 79 and Ringo from re-signing with um, EMI. Right. And they could have done the same deal, maybe even a better deal. Who knows?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. Um, but then on the other side of it, then we, we know that he leaves capital for Columbia. Um now we also know that I, we probably Columbia knows that he's into publishing, right? So to entice yep. him over to in Columbia, they transfer over um some publishing rights over to Paul to lure him to Columbia. So yeah. again, um which now also makes him, you know, even more wealthy than what he right. already is. And, and, but and, and, but the, we we all know the the publishing, I mean, you make money while you sleep with with these publishing rights.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, the, the terrible irony is that a lot more Beatles records were sold in the wake of John's murder. Yep. And so Paul ended up making a lot more money out of the override than um, he could ever have anticipated, I think. In fact, it, um, up up until John died, I would imagine, I don't know, but because I'm not, I, I can't remember which, which bit of, of Columbia publishing the they transferred to Paul in 79. But I would imagine he was tunes, right. Well, he, he was probably making more money out of that in mm-hmm. royalties than he actually was in Beatles sales in seventy nine wow. and eighty, because they weren't selling anywhere near as many records then as they had been. Mm-hmm. Um so it just turned out that when John died, suddenly it must have been um you know an enormous yeah. sort of bonus for him.
0: Which is right. it's it's kind of it's sad and ironic that you know it's becoming profitable yeah. after that, but yeah. but, uh, but you
1: don't know that's going to happen. I mean, obviously,
2: no, we, of course no. not. No, he, and, he had and, no idea
1: that was going to
2: happen. No, and 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 there was nothing illegal in what Paul did. All he did was break um, the sort of un, unwritten agreement that the Beatles would share and everything, mm-hmm. um, but then. You know he could turn around and say not only have i just had to fork out 1.25 million dollars or whatever to get rid of alan klein who i never wanted in the first anyway place. First you place, three right. you three brought alan klein in caused right. all this trouble uh, look at my legal bills. You know, that's your fault. It's not mine, but I've had to suffer for it. And, and I had all the sort of bad press as a result. So and
0: there's a great recording that Tom and I heard not too long ago where Paul's very have you heard this recording, peter? it's he's talking with his lawyers. Linda's on the tape. He's speaking very frankly. I don't know how it was recorded. I don't know how it got out, but, he's talking about this very subject uh, right around these lawsuits that happened in the 80s have you heard that that bit of
2: recording I think I have but years after I wrote the book yeah so, right and I, I must admit right. I can't remember I think it was yeah. on YouTube or something it, it was and it still yeah. is it was yeah. Uh, okay. um, yeah right
0: and I think it popped up again recently and it's really fascinating to hear I think Paul's in there with um uh John Eastman, Eastman. and John Linda Eastman. Right. And, and, yeah. and and and, and oh, it's about a 20-minute recording and you can hear him really. Talking about the nitty gritty details of these of the percentages and the tax and that. yeah, and
1: it's percentages and and helping Ringo with the that promotional um, you know the the money he was getting oh, as yes. well. That's right. Yeah, I've forgotten so, about that. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know because he was that was what he was living off for the most part. Mm. So, and you 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 so, mentioned that in the book that at that point in time Ringo you know
0: needed every penny that he could get and was really relying upon it. So Paul's essentially helping Ringo stay afloat. uh, Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Hmm. Another great moment in the book that I, like a watershed light bulb moment for me reading is this, this iconic meeting at the Dorchester hotel in 1983, when the other three actual Yoko and they discover that this override has actually happened, you know, with the override is in place in 79. And then in, in this big meeting, they have at the dorchester hotel in december of 83 they find out about it you know they find out about this (laughs) he's getting extra money which then leads himself to open morris lawsuits and eventually paul's non-appearance at the rock and roll hall of fame ceremony which is all tied into this same period well is it it,
1: was it that though or was it because of the cap because when capital resigned him they also gave him more royalties um then you know to go back to capital i mean so i was kind of a little bit confused about whether him not showing up to the to the rock and roll hall of fame was it because of this earlier emi um stuff or was it because of the capital uh when they re-signed him in what, what was it, 85.
2: 85 yeah now i'm trying to remember because when was the rock and roll hall of fame 87 it would have been 80- 88. 88, right, okay. So so I I think there must have been another another set of lawsuits by that time. And without looking at the book, I must admit, I can't remember. But um, two events that it did affect very much, first of all, live aid. I mean, George was very adamant he didn't want to be at a Beatles reunion. Mm -hmm. But he, he, he very specifically did not want to be at a Beatles reunion with the guy that they were suing at that point. Because they hadn't settled okay. the um, the issue, then it was very much a live issue. So the idea that George is going to stand on stage, and and perform "Let It Be" and smile nicely at Paul, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> and then the, the other thing I'm very sad about, because I was there, the um, the Carl Perkins TV special. Mm. Now, one right. of the perks of my job, I ended up in amazing places sometimes, and mm. one of those was Limehouse uh, TV studios in South London. In Whichever month it was, nineteen eighty-five, and the Carl Perkins set uh, show with George, Ringo, Eric Clapton, Ringo. Rizan Cash, Dave Edmonds, Dave Edmonds yeah, um, and then having met Carl later, he said, "Well, I wanted Paul to be there." And um, when he heard that George and Ringo were going to be there, he said, "Maybe I'll, you know, right. maybe maybe right. I can send you something instead, because and uh, officially I think Paul was on holiday, and he may have been." But I think, as much as anything, it was just that.
1: Well, they had their moment together. They had their moment together during that tug of war sessions when he writes, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, dear my dear or old friend or whatever it was. My um, old friend, yeah. My yeah. old friend, thank you. Um, yeah. So,
0: circling back to something we just talked about, I found it in the book, Peter. Um, here we are, February '85 harrison starkey and Ono filed an 8.6 million writ against mccartney <laughs> in new york on the basis that he was earning a, a preferential royalty from beatles records to the right. others as an incentive for him to re-sign with capital as a solo capital. artist, there which is go. what tom right. mentioned so okay. it was because he, he re-signed with capital so that was just yeah. another
1: right. lawsuit yeah. right okay right. Right. Yeah. <sighs> Fascinating. Fascinating well, let's, stuff. let's talk about um a little bit about the music i mean when, when yeah you re- let's go back to 78, he resigns, or he signs with Columbia. Uh, his The first thing released then would be uh, Goodnight Tonight. Um, talk about hearing that so- song for the first time and maybe a little bit, talk a li- maybe a little bit about your fandom of Paul. Were you listening to Paul at that yeah. point in
2: time? Um, in... Not as much as I had been a couple of years earlier. To, to backtrack, I almost didn't buy Ram because the reviews in England were so terrible and then when I heard it, I was it took me two or three plays to go. Actually, it's a bit embarrassing, but I like this record. And now it's just about. I mean, it's my wife's favorite album of all time. It's certainly one oh, of my wow. favorite albums of all time. So, um, uh, yeah, and it's of all the Beatles and Beatles-related records, it's the one I play more than any other. I mm. absolutely. I almost never play Beatles records. Um, they're, they're, they're imprinted on my bald head. You know, right. and I don't. I don't need to <laughs> to hear them. When I do, I love them, but I don't seek Wake up, yeah, I don't right. I wake up in the morning and think, "Oh, rubber soul," I haven't oh. heard that this week. You know, I don't. It's there. It's already there until I die. Um, so then, yeah, I bought Wildlife and Red Rose Speedway, um, and my first ever live show was September '75, the Southampton mm, Go Mont, this... or which was okay. the first. Night the, that was of the, the world opening. Tour. Yeah, that was the yeah. opening night yeah. of the world tour. Yep. Yeah. Right. Um, and the two were th- three things I really remember about that, I mean I had nothing never having been to a live gig before I had no idea, it's about a, it's a cinema, it's still there, it's a theatre now in Southampton on the south coast of England, um, it's maybe 3,000, 4,000 seats um, mm. I was about eight, eight rows back, when Paul ah. touched his bass guitar for the first time, um, I and my friend were sort of thrown back about 30 feet <laughs> And, you know, this was a mix done by a bass player, basically. The bass, Mm. I thought my chest was going to cave in every time he touched the bass. I mean, it worked, but it was, the bass was loud. Outside, Mm. there were Americans, because at that time, um, you'll remember Paul couldn't get a uh, a visa to come in because of drug busts. Same Same reason John couldn't leave America. Um, And there were Americans who'd come over from California, I remember, who were holding signs up saying, desperate, you know, just arrived from Santa Barbara, need a ticket. Mm. And the other thing I can remember so clearly, although I I don't know if it's on the really bad tape that's out there of the show, uh, because maybe Paul was off mic at the time, but somebody did shout out from near to me pretty early on, what about John Lennon? (laughs) <laughs> and Paul sort of stepped back and said, "What about John Lennon?" and just went straight into the next song. But I'll say that may that might not be on the bootleg because it maybe he stood off far mic. enough back from the, yeah. yeah. So yeah. have to listen so yeah. to that. Yeah. So that that just shows in '75 still that John mm. versus Paul thing was still a big, you know, yeah. big deal for fans.
0: And and you see, it's an interesting way to look at there too because by this time Paul is flying high. He has finally arrived with that version of Wings and Venus and Mars. And he's like, okay, you know, you all might've had, you know, the success early on, you know, imagine and all things must pass. Uh, Now I'm, I'm here.
2: It's my time.
0: And there was, I'm sure there was a lot of that coming from Paul at that time.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So you mentioned Venus and Mars. I love that. Listen, listen to what the man said. One of my favorite records. Um, Wings and the speed of Sound. I didn't buy because I was a student, and so I had almost no money. And then um, I did buy mm. a second-hand copy many years later and wished I hadn't. I think it cost about 20p, and I was done. I was, <laughs> I was robbed. Um, it's a terrible album, um, with the exception of a couple of songs. I love um, yeah. Someone's Knocking at the Door, um, whatever that's let, called. Let, yeah. let Me In. Let Me In. Him in. And, and the other single, Beware My Love, those two. Beware My love, love is a great yeah. song. Yeah. yeah and then um 70s when did london town seven come out, march sir? of 78 78. Right. okay 78, yeah. now i did not buy that record because what else came out in Mar- around march of 78 elvis costello, this this year's oh, model. new wave what a yeah. fantastic record 77 we got television 78 i saw patty smith i saw costello the jam 79 i saw the clash ah, so you didn't um, run out and buy Mull of Kintyre. Or did you? Well, I hated that. Um, The rest of of my family like it, but I hate it. (laughs) To this day, sorry, Paul. But it is the best-selling record of all time. And I probably have got a copy somewhere, but I I don't know why I bought it. Um, And so, yeah, to to drag you forward to 78, 79, Good Night Tonight was on the radio, but I didn't buy it because it didn't fit Mm. in with the kind of stuff I was listening to then. Okay. Now um, so you asked us and,
0: to skip across the, the next album because you absolutely hate it. So we're not going well, well, to no, about well, it.
2: Well, well no, the next, al- <laughs> the next album is back to the end. Well, after is, that yeah, one. Yeah. 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 So, so, really, which... really briefly, I wish I'd seen uh, Wings in 79. I could have done. Oh, you um, didn't? They, I was in London. They were in London. I didn't have much money, um, but I mm. probably could have scrabbled together. But if, if it was a choice that week between going to see Elvis Costello or McCartney, I would no, I thought, well, I've seen McCartney already. I don't need to right, see right. him again. Um, I didn't hear. I didn't hear back to the egg. There were no real hit singles um, off that record in Britain. Didn't hear it for several right. years afterwards. And it's, it's probably my second favorite McCartney or oh, third. Well, maybe
1: that's um, the thing. You know, people kind of dismiss that record until they go back mm, and listen to it, and yeah. then they're like, "Oh my god!" This. I mean, and plus, it's nothing like uh, "Good Night Tonight." You know, that, no, that's why and, I'm glad that it wasn't on the record because it yeah. would have felt like a stuck
2: out like a sore thumb in my opinion yeah it's it's it, it's a, it's a rock record it's got some beautiful ballads on as well yeah. um mm. I, t- I I just think it's lovely it's the for me it's the high point of Wings uh, which mm. I know may not be oh, anybody wow. else's point of view but yeah. I I love that record and then yeah McCartney yeah. 2 I bought when that came out because I had a job then and um my local record shop I got to know the guy there and I bought a lot of records and so mm-hmm. the day after I bought it, I played it two times that night. My girlfriend at the time said, "You're not going to keep that, are you?" And so, and I tried to justify. I said, "Oh, well, this this song. One of these days, it's crap." She yeah. said, "Which is you no." Know, so I really? said, "Okay." So they were very kind in that shop. They let me take it back, and I swapped it for I can't mm. remember what. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, something I thought was better. But I actually played that album this after, but, this Afternoon for the uh, first time in maybe the first time since 1980, I don't know. So um, so you heard it again. Um, do you, do you yeah. has your opinion changed or you um, still believe it's it's trash? I, 3 or 4 songs I think are okay. The thing mm. I I played just on Spotify, I played the um the long you know the special deluxe version or whatever. Yeah. And right, there's one right. great track on okay. there which is Blue Sway. Yes, way, but it, it's, it, it's the orchestral version from 86. Okay. Richard Niles' with, uh, orca- uh, orchestration. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, and actually, Secret Friend um, as well. I surprised myself mm. by liking that. Really? Um, wow. That, that sort of worked for me as a dance kind of thing.
1: Yeah. But I imagine you would have heard coming up, the, the single coming yeah. up before yeah. the release. And, you know, did you like uh, coming up? It's, did it's a good yeah it's a, it's a catchy
2: song it was fun to see the video with him in his beetle yeah. suit and so on yeah um and then where are we well then I'm at record um, culture and Now Beatles you're at record collector and now and, J- and John so I, yeah so you were a record collector when when John was When uh, John died yeah wow um and so and so professionally I had to keep up um so automatically mm. I would be the one writing the review of every new McCartney record and I mm. I also played Talk of Love uh what's it called tug of, tug, war. Tug of, tug war. of war tug of war of <laughs> god multi-million selling record and like a so-called Beatles expert can't even remember the name of the album. tug of something we all um, have our moment yeah. I, I, I played that also today and mm. that is half of an absolutely brilliant record if you i yeah. think if you took took the best of that maybe five six songs off that and three or four off pipes of peace it would be it's up peace. there with his right. best ever work but unfortunately, mm. it's the rest of the stuff that I struggle with. But um, mm. I think the influence of George Martin on that record is is huge.
1: Oh, absolutely. And then and, and the and – the, well, the first track that they work on, I believe, was uh, We All Stand we all Together. Stand together. Um, right. Which – it's funny <laughs> yeah. because it's the first track they work on, but it's the last release, <laughs> mm. you know. Of their collaboration. Yeah, it doesn't um, come of, out until January of 84. Right. I think it came out. Yeah. 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 Right. So – um, were you one of the the many many millions and millions of people in attendance to watch? Give my regards to Broad Street.
2: Yes, <laughs> I was. Being my, a little my, sarcastic. Yep, yeah, uh, my brother and I went to see it with the week it opened in in Leicester Square in the heart of London. It was the first cinema it was on at, so not the first day, but maybe three or four days in. And my memory is we were just about the only people in the cinema, um, so it, it was not a hit. And I, you know, I enjoyed it, but honestly it's what an embarrassment um i mean that is a prime example if you if you if you're going to get george martin back you you get george martin in a because he's a brilliant orchestrator and b because you trust him to be able to say that's not good enough now paul doesn't take kindly to that as we all know because Mm he says look i'm the most successful musician in the history of the universe which is true so i'll decide what's good and what's not um but he's not the most successful filmmaker in the history of the universe. He wasn't right. even the most successful filmmaker that week. So, oh, no, um, <laughs> no, right. So, I mean, what do you, what do you, I can't, I can't how... believe there was nobody around him to say, are you really going to use the old, it was all a dream? <laughs> I mean, what my, do you my, think? Oh, I'm sorry, I was to... just going to say, my, Go my wife, my wife many years ago used to teach um, sort of. I've no idea what it's called in America, but maybe fourth, fifth, sixth grade, something like that, kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And whenever they wrote stories, she said, if ever they they played that card, the, it was all a dream, she used to say, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's the ultimate cop-out. And yet Paul makes a movie based on that. I mean, it's just...
0: What do you mm. make of Paul during this period in the early 80s, teaming up with Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder? I mean, yeah. It, yeah. you know, did, 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 why did you know? Did, I mean, how was that really perceived in the UK? I mean, you were obviously writing at the time. Uh, you know, yeah. was it just like, oh, but he's just selling out, and you know?
2: Just... No, no, not at all. No, it was um, certainly with Stevie Wonder. It was seen as a, as a sort of marriage of equals.
1: Number one hit. Number one hit yeah. in the UK. Yeah, uh,
2: I mean, I find it tough to listen to. I prefer. I always thought I preferred the other song um, what's that you were doing. Oh, you um, mean oh, no, oh, yeah, the, the other the collaboration. Other, what's, yeah, that? what's that you're doing? Yeah, yeah. But actually, when I played that, earlier, that didn't sound anywhere near as good as I, I hoped it would do. But I mean, in retrospect, and I hate to say this, it was Stevie doing Paul a favour because in the seventies, mm. Stevie Wonder was on a different planet to anybody. Right. I mean, his run of albums from. Yes, um, yeah. you know, music, music in, in my mind, mind. Yeah. talking book, yeah, talking all book, of those yeah.
1: songs in the key of life,
2: yeah, Yep. Yeah. even the secret life of plants, right the way through yeah. to yes. hotter, hotter than July, um, uh, which yes. was the record he did just before the the, the tug of war sessions. Um, you know, he's un, un- unmatchable by anybody, including Paul or any other beatle. Um, now the Michael Jackson thing was interesting because that did seem a bit more like. Oh, this young kid's popular, so maybe I'll join up with him. But, then, but weirdly, given what I just said, I think I saw it as Paul giving Michael a leg up into a different world that he was a teen yeah, star, possibly, and um, because he's saying, up and oh, coming. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's yeah. up
1: and coming. And plus, it's it plus it's Michael that reaches out to Paul. Um, yeah. You know, which I I don't know if people realize that right um, on you Christmas know, then, Day, no less. Right. <laughs> right, and then this is this is also the the closest he ever got to having two number ones on on one album, yeah, which in the yeah. in the, uh, the UK pipes a piece, uh, pipes of Peace is a number one number one hit, and then say 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 goes to number two, uh, in the UK. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So this is the, also the time where he's hassle having more success in the charts in the UK than he is yeah. in the, in the US
2: absolutely um i find it tough to listen to say 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 anymore Mm. i hate hate the girl is mine which is is that on thriller i think it is thriller yeah Uh, yeah it must be the worst track on thriller by a long long way (laughs) and it was the the first single (laughs) yeah the the first single (laughs) the spoken word that when they're fighting over the girl oh Oh. goodness (laughs) Oh, embarrassing. On, but the, the track I like, that nobody else seems to like, is the man. The man. I thought that oh, was a man. great track. That should have been the single. But it it, it, kinda yeah. was. it was. kind of it's almost was. It kind of almost cool. was. And do you mm-hmm. you guys probably know what everybody says the B side was going to be of that?
1: Uh, the um, uh, Blackpool. Of,
2: yeah. Blackpool. No. Blackpool. Not true. Yeah. Not true. A hundred percent. I can guarantee you that is not true. Yeah. What was it going to be? Okay. Uh, I no idea. That oh, I didn't yeah, know it was right. not going to be blackboard, blackboard. Um, okay. and I'm not going to tell you how I know that. But I know. Okay, 100%. that's fair. But I have a okay. there's a
1: I have a Spanish uh, 45 promo of the man, um, but unfortunately it's 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 the man on both sides. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah,
2: it's a great it's a great song. Play it twice.
0: That's a good track, and it's a good segue into you know um, the next period that kind of gets a little sketchy is when Michael Jackson, of course, buys the catalog. And Paul, tell us a little bit about Paul's attempt to go to Yoko for 20 million or whatever to get it back, but, you know, chose not to.
2: I'm I'm tempted to say the story, the stories in the (laughs) book and it, I'm sure it's told better there than I'll be able to. But did Yoko, I think not, um, I think she was saying, look, we don't need to pay that much money. And Paul Mm. said, they they want 20 million and we can get it. No, no, offer them five. Five. Right, uh, well, five. whatever it was, something yeah. like that, and Paul could not twist Yoko's arm to, to to come up for the to the full amount, and they lost the rights as a result.
0: Which I so, right. Paul could have Paul could have bought those songs well, no he, problem. You, you think, himself...
2: well, unless he would spent all the money on Broad Street, I suppose I think that's possible.
1: Well, he Although I, I think not, not, not
2: on. I'll tell you what, he didn't spend the money on a script writer. Anyway, sorry. No, he did not. Right.
1: <laughs> no. If he buys if he buys these on his own, listen, yeah. I mean this puts him in a this, I mean, he is not only the richest person on the planet, he's probably the richest person in the universe. Uh, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. if if he you know, I mean, this is an endless stream of cash, yeah. Right here. I mean, this this kept that kept Michael Jackson afloat during his during his trouble years.
2: Absolutely, uh, all his legal what, what, legal battles, yeah of course what we don't know is how much available cash Paul had at that point right at the point um it, right. you know because everything's tied up and he's got 300 right. different companies yeah touring right okay he's yeah. having he's having hit records but it may be that he hadn't got 20 million dollars suddenly to be able to go you know snap and mm. And, right. and get them but um again, yeah you know the
1: 80s you're right about the go ahead Tom. The yoko thing sorry i'm mean, just you know you write about the yoko thing yoko's like you know i i know people maybe we can get a better deal let's hmm. let's shoot for, for for five million but yeah it's you know even five million <laughs> it's just, i just don't mm-hmm. see that you know <laughs> being the case but go ahead andy no no so that you know obviously goes through
0: that live aid debacle um press to play uh, the you know up and down record? Did you did you buy that too or no? Uh,
2: well, at this point I was getting sent free ones.
0: Ah, you were. Ah. So
2: and, and I was on the EMI mailing list by now, so I got copies of the singles and I didn't get all 35 different versions of press, <laughs> uh, but I got quite a few of them. And for my sins, I was like that single. I mean, original the original version of it. Uh, I think it's, it's great. A catchy catchy yeah. little tune. And then,
0: of course, you know, UK only. Once upon a long ago, and back on my feet. Yeah. Did you did you yeah. enjoy those songs
2: too? Uh, yes, I did. Um, which that, that tied in with all the best. is Elvis that right? Gusto? Yes. Yeah. yeah. All the best. Yeah. yeah. Oh, part Estella of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that part of that all the best campaign and all mm. that, which kind of yeah. was the when Paul got Richard Ogden in there to kind of give him
1: a little bit of a boost. Right.
0: Get the all get, so get all you, the, you know, yeah. get that out there and then get a find a new collaborator, right. which is what he told him to do yeah. with Costello.
1: Yeah, and you being a Cal- Costello fan, I mean, talk about did you, were you a fan of the, the songs that they worked on together? Obviously, you know, Spike, you know, he's got uh, a Veronica, right? That Paul helps out with mm-hmm. a little bit. You got Back on My Feet. Um, what's the one on Flowers in the Dirt that I'm uh, 25 Fingers. Uh,
2: no no you you, you want you want her too. you
1: you want her you
2: want her too yeah yeah which which i I think was the perfect version of paul and elvis trying to be like paul and john yeah john with you know like oh i'll say something positive and you'll say something negative like oh god if we're not careful paul's going to suddenly pop up and tell us the story about it's it's getting better For the 950 millionth <laughs> time. <laughs> we all know that story, For right. Don't say it ever right. again, please. Say it. <laughs> right. Um, oh,
1: my. Flowers we, in the
2: dirt, but, you know, UK number yeah. one. Good good record. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I, I think so. I mean, drags a bit towards the end of the second side, maybe. Um, mm. Was it Flowers of the Dirt that he started doing the dance stuff? Uwe Le Soleil? Yeah. Is that from that? Period? Yeah. yeah. Party, then... party, party, party. Yeah. And at some point, I, again, I can't quite remember how I ended up with all the 12 inch promos of weird dance things that mm, probably yeah. sound, actually sound better <laughs> now than they, you know, I didn't really appreciate that stuff at the time. But, uh, but this is yeah. a
0: nice segue to kind of close out the 80s with his music, because now this the uh, the groundwork is set. Um, the lawsuits start to come to an end, which then mm. paves the way for the BBC release and ultimately the anthology. Um, You know, obviously the 80s, all these things were going on. Finally, they were resolved. And you've got, uh, you know, kind of that second wave that kind of happened there with with the BBC album. And then obviously George kind of going into financial straits, you know, and losing everything. You know, would the anthology have happened? Probably not. But it kind of seems that from that point on that there is some kind of peace there with the the camps. Would you agree from that point on? From uh, from the um, mid-90s
2: on? Yes, except when George was doing interviews because he could be sarcastic, mm, sarcastic and he, yes, and he usually was when it came to talking about right. Paul, and he would say something like, "Oh the the interview would interview would invariably say, "Oh, Paul says that there might be a chance you yeah. you two will work together." Yeah. and George right. would say, "Oh, has Paul got a new album out then you come in yeah, so yes. um, right." Yeah, but there's
1: another great one. There's another great one where there, I think it's probably during the Broad Street era, where the interviewer is talking to oh. George about, um, you know, um, Paul doing, you know, remaking all those Beatle classics, and then George says something like, "Well, he's, he's probably got no more good ones of his yeah. own." <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, good stuff. Good great stuff, stuff. Great stuff. So yeah, that's the that's that's
0: the you know that's our kind of uh, dive into looking into the '80s. Maca aspect of it, um, Peter. Great job on the book. Yeah. Um, well, well, thank you.
2: Uh, what I was just going to say before we rush yeah. off was, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've not. I haven't seen other podcasts. I will go back and watch some. But maybe I've been oh, more critical you. of Paul than. Many, most of your guests and I, in which case I apologize to your viewers no, no, and listeners. No, you're not
1: the only one. You are not yeah. the only one, my friend. There's all levels of fandom yeah, and all li- levels of criticism too, so don't worry. Rest,
2: rest assured, first of all, he and John George and Ringo changed my life and he's right. made just about my favorite listening album of all time, Ram. And, yeah. uh, you know, so many brilliant songs. Um, right. Still to this day, melodies just ooze out of him exactly um, i I don't necessarily like everything he does these days I've got views about whether he sh- should still be touring or not um yeah. but you know fundamentally what an incredible musician what an incredible composer um and haven't really? we all been lucky to be alive at the same time he has been uh, we we, Absolutely. Said that.
1: We've, we have said that on this show many times but are, are you Peter, Peter on yeah, what are you, you working on now you got anything coming up uh,
2: anything well besides there? obviously publicizing my Book yeah. growing up mm-hmm. sex in mm-hmm. the 60s which is a look at the darker side of the 60s sexual culture um I've just finished my first novel which has nothing to do with the Beatles and I have no idea because I have no sort of um, reputation in that area it may well never get published so you may hear about it here and never again mm-hmm. but we'll see anyway it's been right fun I really sex, enjoyed you, it
1: the, the sex in the in, in the 60s now you said that was only available in the UK in the in, the, yep. in Australia right but you can probably get it. You can probably get it. You know. Oh yeah, I, I would imagine if you're interested. On
2: an yeah, ebook. Could yeah. you get an ebook, uh, yeah. Kindle version um, of it? Yeah, there certainly is in England. There's a there's an audio book as well. So
1: great. All right, talk well, about uh, that for a few minutes. Well, let, well let's let's have him talk about the, that book for a few minutes,
2: if you want. to. Okay. Well, um, I've written lots about the '60s, and uh, I've written lots about the sort of politics and music of the '60s. And I kept coming across, obviously, the sexual revolution that we all know about. But in Britain, anyway, there was the what what order did they come? There was a big trial in 1960 about D.H. Lawrence's book *Lady Chatterley's mm. Lover*, which was finally allowed to be published in paperback. So that sort of um, was a breakthrough as far as censorship was concerned. Um, there was the legalization of homosexuality up to a certain point in the late 60s the same with abortion there's the pill um there are various sort of quite famous scandals in the 60s as well profumo um, affair the profumo affair particularly 63 yeah um now I but I deliberately wrote decided to not write about those and I picked other ways of looking at the 60s and um very briefly one of the themes of my book sadly is that um, alongside that sexual revolution and the sort of hippie underground sexual revolution as as well of, of everything being allowed. Yeah. Um, there was also, weirdly, a culture came up in the late 50s, early 60s and was reborn in the late 60s, which made it okay, it seemed, for young girls to be preyed upon by older men and this mm. wasn't the, this wasn't the responsibility of the the hippies or you know mm. the, the generation who were born after the war it was actually culture being controlled by people who were born well before the second world war um and the 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 key um bit of evidence for me is is the book lolita sorry struggling to pronounce yeah. it right. um so the first two chapters of the book are about the book coming out what that does to the culture and uh, and then the second chapter is about the film and just really briefly because it's a dark subject Mm. i'll say that i was amazed horrified to read british national newspapers 1959 through to 62 particularly and there would be stories about old men having sex with underage girls and it would be the girls who got punished it was always their fault Mm. Dark, so right? that's that. That's yeah. one of the dark themes, and yeah, I'll understand if you want to cut that out. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, well, it all, it's, no, no. Of, it's all all no. part of
0: the sixties yeah. culture, it, it, it ties it into it. And we'll we'll have a link for um, that yeah. book as well. Oh, the, great! The, okay. We'll have Thank put you. a link for that mm-hmm. in the video below. So if you're you know interested but in that, the, go. but
2: uh, but there is also a Beatles connection. There is a chapter about pop and sex, because mm-hmm. basically pop pop is about sex and dancing right. and, and dancing is about mm-hmm. sex um but the particular focus of that chapter is John and Yoko doing the two virgins album mm-hmm. John's infamous self-portrait film right um his um the drawings he did of the honeymoon what's it called bag mm-hmm. one the bag one that, yeah drawings yeah. and and also Yoko's film films of nude bottoms and so bottoms stuff like yeah. so I've used that as a way to look at the 60s um mm. yeah in, in, right. in the pop uh, there the, are the, the light much more lighthearted aspects <laughs> of the book as well I tried to cover the whole sort of gamut but do it in ways that people weren't expecting so
0: great no we Excellent. will include that, cool. include that in too. so um Peter Doggett thank you so much for giving yeah, us yeah, the time you. today and, and a dive back mm. into uh the book that you published in 2009 called you never give me your money um <laughs> and uh really if you have not got it, please get it. We'll have a link below to get this. It is really one of the most essential books that you will read Beatles-related literature ever. It's not about yes. you know how many times they sang hey Jude. It's really it's personal, <laughs> but it has chock full of details about all the lawsuits and how they connect personally to the four Beatles post-1970, and it's written wonderfully. And uh Peter, thank you so much for, for thank, it, you. thank you. Yes, I've enjoyed uh, it. You're very kind. So thank for you. Tom, for Peter, this is Andy yeah. signing off for episode two hundred and nineteen. And we'll see you next time.
2: Peace and love. Thank you. You've been listening to Two Legs, a Paul McCartney podcast, hosted by Tom Hunyadi and Andy Nichols, with musical contributions by Dylan.